In the Disney animated film Inside Out, we were given a front row seat to the interplay uh, inside the head of a young Riley who was leaving Minnesota, moving to San Francisco, and all the, the stereotypical brilliance of, of those emotions playing out. Did not enjoy the movie, found it pretty depressing, but my wife <laughs> told me it was great. Oh, and I thought this is interesting as I was reading through the Christmas story. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, like Riley's head, um, the Christmas story is filled with just a gamut and an array of emotions. And I felt like that's been very stereotypical of most of a community that deals with Christmas, from joy to sadness to anger. Um, And so God has always been active in human history, but when he broke in in the incarnation, when God became flesh, when when Jesus, God in the flesh, was born, um, there was this uh, microcosm of two worlds colliding. And I just wanted us to read, Just I'm going to hop through this story And just notice some of the emotions that are at play here and see if you can't relate uh, on some level to one of these. Uh, We'll start in Luke 1, verse 11. And it says, and we read this last week, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Verse 14, And you will will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled, speaking of Mary, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Isn't that beautiful? This unborn child encountered God, the Spirit of God, and leapt for joy. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, verse 63, his name is John, Zechariah, saying this, and they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke and blessed God. And fear came on all the neighbors. Fear. And all those who were talking about through all the hill country of Judea. And then chapter 2, verse 9, they were filled with great fear, speaking of the shepherds. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. There again, fear and joy. Verse 19, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Then uh, uh, Matthew chapter 1, very familiar. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when the mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. Fear. In verse chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. 
and assembling all the chief priests and scribes. Where would this be? Bethlehem of Judah. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And so we see this story, one we're very familiar with, filled with a litany of emotions. Joy, sadness, fear, anger. I don't know if disgust is in there. Maybe she is. But they're all there. Fear. When we are invited in or in close proximity to what God's doing, fear is present. If it's not, maybe we don't understand, right? Because it seems like every time God shows up, it's fear not. Our first response is fear. Fear not. One of Jesus' favorite commands. Fear then isn't a sign of something going wrong. But maybe something about to go right. Joy, rejoicing, singing, all wonder what might become through this next generation. Hope, sadness, I can imagine. I mean, we don't, this is not a far leap. Maybe Joseph was sad, maybe. Maybe more than sad, maybe even angry, you might say. So much so that he was going to end the marriage. Honorably, but not, he's a human. He has emotions as well. Maybe Mary's parents This is not the path we had for you, Mary. Mary would carry a reputation all her days of infidelity. All her days. In fact, one of the rebukes of Jesus later in his life, he goes, we know who our father is, hint, hint. We're not sure about yours. And so this reputation, this sadness following them. And then anger, you see Herod infuriated, furious, Playing out. What about us this morning? What about us as we enter this Christmas season? Is there fear maybe that we can't create quite the experience for our family as we would want? Fear that the new year is coming and that we haven't made the changes we thought we would last year. We still some of the same failure cycles. Fear that Christmas might not be the same again. Maybe some things are changing around us and there's fear. Joy and hope, celebration with family and community, hope that Christ has come in, that we have an eternal hope, that this life is not the end. There's joy there. Maybe there's sadness. Maybe you can't be with family or maybe the family dynamics are changing and your soul is weary. Maybe there's broken relationships. Maybe someone's not around that you wish they were. Anger, past drama, pain is still resurfacing. Bitterness in your soul that you thought you had dealt with years ago. But one small comment, little look, little little trite thing. Maybe a parent says and boom, it's back up, right? Theoretically. Theoretically, never happens to y'all. There's an interesting phrase here that happens three times in these passages. We kind of, it says they were troubled. They were troubled. This word in the Greek is teraso. It means stirred up, causing great distress, trouble, or disturbance, causing a riot, throwing into confusion. Does that sound like the inner turmoil when some of the emotions rage within us? 
I don't know about you, but I picture if you've ever gotten fresh juice, maybe from Fresh Vibes, or, or maybe you've made some, some apple cider, and the, the, the solid parts kind of settle to the bottom. You think, man, they're not there anymore. And then all of a sudden, a wooden spoon or, or some kind of somebody shakes the bottle and everything that's been laying dormant rises again and it churns. This is the picture we get. Something stirred within us, stirred up. It could be joy. It could be phone call from a friend that, man, I haven't been very excited or joyful. And then that friend's phone call rises excitement in us again. This stirring up is the image we get. A snide comment from a, snibl- a sibling like a wooden spoon in our soul churns the anger, right, that we thought we'd kind of dealt with. I remember I was in, uh, we, this other picture we get is um, a part of a riot. I was in Australia, Melbourne. We were preaching the gospel on the college campus, and we had offended one of the campus organizations, and they were very upset at us, and they went into our room and pulled the fire alarms and megaphones, and it wasn't quite a riot, but it was the closest thing I'd ever been a part of, and confusion, Right? unaware of what was going on. And, and it reminded me of what it feels like in my soul in certain situations where emotions rage and we're not sure, we're confused what to do with them. Has that ever happened to us this morning? Just making sure I was talking to the right group. Paul gives us a picture in Galatians. He says that your flesh and your spirit are at odds with one another. That your, your flesh wants to respond a certain way and your spirit wants to respond another way. And it, I love this phrase, so that you do not do what you want. It doesn't say which way. I mean, whichever way you're not doing, a part of you is not doing what it wants. There's a bit of suffering there. And we get this picture. And so... Herod said that he was troubled. Mary was troubled. Zechariah was troubled. There's this stirring. What happens when Christmas troubles us, stirs something up in us? This conflict, this stirring, this riot within is not just based on experience. Sometimes it has a malevolent source. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. My brother and I had a friend um, in college, and we played flag football. And we were pretty good. We made it to the championship a few times. I think we won once or twice. Still got my T-shirt. Had a good time. But this particular friend of ours had a role on the team. He, Christian, he ran cross country in college. And so he was, uh, if you've never seen cross country runners in college, but they have really big thighs and really small upper bodies, right? It's because their legs move and their, their upper bodies don't. You know? And so he was really good at running. He was a good athlete. But you know what his role? He played defensive line, which in flag football, you don't have to be big. He was the smallest guy on the team. And he just would slide through defend uh, offensive linemen and give the quarterback all he could handle as quick as possible. But that really wasn't his bread and butter. He was best at the human psyche. He was small, born in Korea, raised uh, by an American family, and he could get in your skin and irritate you to death. 
He would find that one thing about you. Maybe it was something you were wearing. Maybe it was a look on your face. Maybe he saw something bother you and he knew how to apply the pressure because his goal wasn't just to pull the flag. It was to create upheaval within the team. And he was brilliant at it. In fact, on more than one occasion, we would always have to step in because he couldn't really defend himself. He was small. Uh, and he was usually finding the biggest guy on the team to kind of pull to his level. He was great at it. And he was so good at it that by the end, he would make the larger person justifiably so who was angry at him feel bad that they wanted to hurt him. You want to hit me? I've got glasses on. What's wrong with you? And he'd laugh at him. <laughs> right? And he'd stir the pot. And see, this great trait allowed us to win a lot of games because he stirred up within one, which is called dissension among the many. Boy, they were fighting each other by the end. And I'd look over at my friend. <laughs> he was having a good time. See, What's stirred up in us isn't always just circumstantial. Sometimes it has a malevolent, an evil agenda, right? And it's recognized. So what do we do when we're stirred up emotionally? There's always one, two, maybe three moments like this throughout the Christmas season for me. So I need this just as much as y'all this morning. So number one, this is what I would suggest doing. One, we have to recognize but not be ruled. And recognize, but not be ruled. What is coming out of us? Now, we make two, typically here in our culture, we make two mistakes when it comes to emotions. I'll let you decide which one I fall into. But you make two mistakes. One is to ignore and not process what's really going on. Right? Emotions, this person may think, are obstacles to success and only get in the way of progress. If I feel unsafe or scared, then I must work hard at subduing the feelings of fear because they keep me from accomplishing to my optimal level. I train myself to ignore how I'm feeling because my emotions hold me back only to realize that I've shut out all communication with my body and soul so that I don't make the appropriate adjustments. We ignore our emotions because we hurt and they keep us from whatever that is. Now the second ditch we fall into when it comes to emotions is that we submit and we don't filter. We feel deeply. We embrace those feelings as truth and let them define ourselves and our actions. We feel, therefore, we are. Emotions are the doorway into understanding who I am and what I should do and how I should interpret reality. I follow my heart wherever it goes. If I feel unsafe or scared, then I must be in danger and therefore must react accordingly. I should not push through or push past, right? But my wife tells me that emotions aren't good or bad. They are information. They're information. Still working through that, right? That's what they are. They communicate something that's going on inside of us. And 
cause us maybe to dig deeper. Some of us feel more deeply than others. That's okay. Some of us are on a journey. I remember coming to faith in Christ as a college student and coming into this church and remembering a moment actually with my pastor at the time, Pastor Mike, where I had an emotional moment and I was thinking back and I thought, man, it's probably been 15 years since I felt anything. But that was Jesus' journey in my soul. And as I got close to him, he was awakening things in me that I would need, right, to live with a spouse, to raise a child, to minister in a church. Those were, I'm on a, I'm on a journey. Amen? And so it's interesting in this, Zechariah, Herod, and Mary are all troubled. It's, but notice this, Mary is deeply troubled. Terraso is the word, but for Mary, it's diaterraso, greatly troubled. But you know what's funny? Though Mary felt the most fear and disturbance, she's the only one that responded with faith. Your feeling, your emotions don't have to determine your faith. They're just information. And Mary felt deeply. That didn't make her any less faith-filled. She was the only one walked out of that in faith, in the moment, which is pretty amazing. Let it be done to me according to your word. Isn't that awesome? So what do we do here? If you have a distant relationship with your emotions, slow down. Take a moment, maybe five minutes. Journal. Take some time to process what isn't going on and should be, maybe. I've had that conversation. I should be sad here. I am not, right? <laughs> Write that down. Talk about that to the Lord, right? Let's be honest here, right? It's a journey. It's a moment. If you're ruled by your emotions, what should you do? Maybe you feel deeply Maybe they dominate your every decision. Well, let's go, let's, let's kind of venture into the story a little bit. Number two, we recognize, but we're not ruled. Number two, we verbalize, but aren't victimized. Look at Mary here. She has questions. We, we talked about this last week, Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah asked a similar question than Mary, but obviously something's deeper there. Zechariah in his heart, we can conclude that he wasn't saying, how will this happen? But more, there's no way this could happen. And Mary is like, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. She's asking questions. And God honors her question. And then she responds, right? So she's verbalizing her fear, her confusion, but she's not a victim to it. Now, two men in the Bible, you might say, you're, maybe you're a man in here, and you're like, dear God, Blake, what do we, come, if I get more in touch with my emotions, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> but Jesus is a great example for us. I mean, I, Jesus is pretty manly. Worked with his hands, carpenter, Stared down the leaders of his day, unflinching, and the most powerful person in his world, Pilate, and had a conversation with him, a non-anxious presence, stood in great suffering and forgave. I mean, 
He's the example of manhood. And what, look at Jesus here in, in Matthew chapter 26, 37 through 38, 39. He said, Then he said to them, Jesus is in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Can you imagine that kind of confession among your manly friends? I'm just really sad, guys, to the point of death. You probably should call somebody and talk about that, right? But here's Jesus. He's finding close brotherhood. He's bringing men into his world, and he's being honest about what he's dealing with. Now, he wasn't a victim to that. He wasn't saying, I'm to the point of death, therefore, there's no hope for me. No, he was being honest about what he's feeling, but he didn't let his feelings dictate what he did. Their information. I'm sorrowful, but I'm not a victim to death. Remain here and watch with me. And then he goes and prays. Daniel Siegel, who was the clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA School of Medicine and founding co-director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA, coined this phrase, if you can name it, you can tame it. There's something about being honest out of our mouths, what I'm dealing with, and that confession alone brings our anxiety down, brings our pain down, brings our fear down. It's out there. And that alleviates some pressure. Now, that's not an end all, but it's the beginning. And it's a part of this step, verbalize but not victimize. What about, you might be saying, I'm still not convinced, what about the warrior David? What about the warrior David who killed 200 men with his own hands and circumcised them? It's a pretty, it's a pretty bad A kind of guy, you know? Pretty cool. This is what he says in Psalm 62. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Ponder. What is he saying? God is a safe place for you to go and pour out your heart to him. If you've ever read the Psalms and how honest he is, where are you, God? Be honest. And by the end, he's like, you're awesome. You're awesome, God. But he was honest. He, was, he verbalized, but he wasn't victimized by his emotions. Now, there's unhealthy ways to do this. One is not doing it, not talking, not communicating with those close to you what you're really dealing with or what you need and, and how you feel. And if we do that long enough, we fail to feel anything. And there's something beautiful about the presence of God and coming in and encountering Jesus and him walking with you that massages those muscles and it takes time and he is beautiful and patient with us to do it. But we also can handle this in unhealthy ways by putting our deep thoughts and struggles on blast so that the world knows. Find a trusted friend, not the metaverse, Right? Yes, we should tell people. Build those relationships. Be honest. So one, we recognize. One, two, we verbalize. But three, and this brings us to our final point this morning. I grew up in, I just named this the G.I. Joe generation. I don't know if that's a thing, but I watched G.I. Joe, man. We watched G.I. Joe, baby. You know, it's... it's Boys playing with dolls. When I mean, you think about it, right? How manly is that? But they were with guns, you know. So that made it okay. And at the end of these um, 
shows, there was always like this scenario in the neighborhood. Y'all, y'all remember this? Okay. And then, and, and at the end, the, the, one, of the cre- one of the characters from G.I. Joe would show up and he'd say, you know, tell them this like quip or this wise saying. And the kids were like, wow, now we know. And what is it, what's after that? And knowing is half the battle. Thank you. And knowing is half the battle. And that was just every episode ended that way. So, so we're hitting on that here, right? We're communicating. I know that I'm angry. I know that I'm sad. I know that I'm uh, frustrated or, or I'm depressed or, or, or whatever, or I'm anxious or afraid. But there's some fallacy in that phrase because knowing isn't half the battle. And it's essential, I would say, but not half. In fact, John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, Recognizing Resisting the Three Enemies That Sabotage Your Peace, says this, Lori Santos of Yale called this the G.I. Joe fallacy. Santos is a professor of psychology and cognitive science, and her basic point is that simply knowing something isn't enough to change, because change is hard. Knowing something is important, and I would say essential, but it's not half the battle. It's more like 10 to 20% of the battle. For ideas, good or bad, to reshape our lives, they have to, uh, something, get. Let's get. They have to get into our hearts. The deep centers of our beings that integrate our thoughts, emotions, and desires. There's emotions again. And from there into our bodies, our muscle memory, or in more Christian language, into our souls. What are we saying here? that knowing is important, but we can't just recognize and verbalize. We have to agree with God and then act. Agree with God and then act. And, and this is interesting here because acting is typically, when we get in these emotional states, we let emotion, let's say for instance, if we're sad and we're feeling a deep sadness, we don't feel like doing anything. And then we'll try to um, reason our way into feeling better and then therefore behave a different way. But we're not just brains. We're not just emotions within a system in our heart. We are an integrated being of body, soul, and spirit. That your body's a part of that. And so sometimes we need to act before we feel. Okay. You might not be convinced of this, but I found someone who agreed with me. Dr. Caroline Leaf, a cognitive neuroscience scientist with a PhD in communication pathology specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. She sounds important. And this is what she said. We often forget that we have to actually do something before we feel the positive effects of it. Let's just stop right there. That, that makes so much sense, right? Does anybody hate working out? Anybody? Five of us. Okay. Hate working out. But once you work out, what happens? Oh, I'm glad I did that. It's just just one example. The action often comes before the feeling. If you constantly wait to feel a certain way, more confident, less anxious, etc., you may remain stuck. Often you have to do even Uh, even when you don't want to in order to achieve the desired emotion. It's funny how the Bible 
Right? That's true, right? It's all over the Bible. And yet, the neuroscientist says, well, that must be true. It's been true for thousands of years. And now science is catching up because we wait to feel before we do. Now, look at this. This is our good old uh, warrior King David, Psalm 13. Watch him, how this plays out for him in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? You've forgotten about me, my family? How long will you hide your face from me? Why are you hiding from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I feel like this all the time. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here's a hinge. It hinges right here. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice. doesn't say my heart wants to rejoice. Does it? It says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What is David saying? He's saying, look, I recognize that I'm angry. I'm verbalizing that to the Lord. But I go to the Lord with my emotions. And when I sit down with him and I lay before him how I feel, he interprets my reality for me and with me. And then I agree with him and then I respond in faith. So when we are feeling some kind of way, is that, is that how I say that, John? Feeling some kind of way? I never, that doesn't make any sense to me because I'm always feeling some kind of way. But now I guess it, this is what it means. When we're feeling some kind of way in a situation, we wreck, what am I feeling exactly? Or if we're not feeling, what should I be feeling? It's okay, let's start there. What do I want to be feeling right here? We think about it. We recognize it. Then we verbalize, Lord, I'm angry. Lord, I'm upset. Lord, I'm sad. We lay it before the Lord. And we let him define where we are. And then we agree with his interpretation of reality, which is reality, the eternal kind. And then we act accordingly. And look at, here's, what does that look like? Well, the most basic form of this is worship and singing to the Lord. It's the most basic form. If you're saying, I don't know how to respond. You will not go wrong if you respond this way. Sing to the Lord. Well, I don't feel like singing. I know. I know you don't feel like singing, but when you sing to the Lord, something's awakened in your soul, and then your emotions start catching up with you. Maybe, well, I did that once. Well, good. Have you done it 300 times? Because do you want to be in this place next year? We're here again. No, but for maybe every weekend, I gather with the people of God, and I sing to the Lord. That's a start. But what about at home? 
What about on the way to work or on the way to school or when your roommates leave and you shut the door, you sing to the Lord. There's something stirred in you. Emotions come. We recognize, we verbalize, and then we agree and act in faith and watch God align, bring synergy, right? Because our body wants to be, our body, our mind, our spirit want to be in continuity with one another. So as we worship, then our, our emotions come with us. Amen? This is what's awesome about this Christmas season because what we're celebrating now is God not demanding we act a certain way. We see God, what we're celebrating is that God stepped into our world to feel what you feel. Have you thought about that? Christmas declares that God is with us. He feels our pain when he cried at the death of Lazarus. When he sat on the cross and was nailed to the cross and saw his best friends turn their back on him. He felt it. He knew fear when he looked at death and hell at Gethsemane and saw the bottomless pit of God's wrath for our sin. He felt that joy when he saw faith of others, amazed that these people can have so much faith who don't even know God, who aren't Jews and grew up like us. But look at their faith, joy at that. He knew sadness, abandoned by his friends, death of his close loved ones, anger when he saw the temple courts, right? People throwing obstacles before people who wanted to know God, but they were making it harder for people. He became angry at that and tore it down. See, there's not an emotion you feel that Jesus hasn't felt. So we don't have, stop that. Fear not. No, fear not, for I am with you. I I know this feeling. You don't have to be a victim to it. That's not who you are. Fear not, for I am with you. Here Jesus is, our our great king, our great high priest, who is tempted in every way just as you are, but without sin. Man, I can serve a God like that. I can serve a God who knows what I'm going through, who's felt deeply, and yet overcome. Love came down. Amen? That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season. So as we close this morning, we think about what's inside of us, the fear, the anger, the sadness, the joy. We can enjoy the joy without shame or regret because God is with us and he's for us. And if we're dealing with some of these negative emotions that are beginning to pull us down, we don't have to live that way. We can go to the one who's felt deeply with us, lay them before his feet, verbalize. Are you going to say anything that you're dealing with that he's going to be shocked by? I'm mad at you. Oh my, oh my gosh. So surprised. No, I feel your anger. I've been feeling it for weeks. I'm glad you're finally being honest about it. Now, can I help you? Yeah. Amen. 
So God awakens our emotions. He redeems them. They're not good. They're not bad. We don't have to feel condemned that we're angry. We don't have to feel condemned that we're sad. We can recognize them, their information. But we have to go to the one, the greatest, who interprets that. We are in an information age. Information doesn't help us alone. We've got more information at our fingertips than we ever have in human history. Are we any better? Why? Because the information alone doesn't change us. We need an interpreter of the information. And Jesus can interpret your information because he knows it existentially and he knows you deeply and he loves you so we have someone we can trust. Like, how can I be honest? Because Jesus would die for you. He would rather be wrong than you be wrong. He loves you that deeply. And so we can trust him. Amen? Let's stand to our feet as we close. Father, we love you this morning. God, I I don't know where I'd be this morning without you. Lord, there have been seasons of my life where I've been so stirred, so troubled. I didn't know where to turn, but you turned to me. You met me where I was, not where I wanted to be, not where I should have been, where I was. Lord, I pray for every individual in here, Lord, that they would be able to feel deeply. They'd be able to recognize their emotions that are going raging within them at times. Lord, for those of us in this room who that's, you would rather feel something than nothing. I just want to communicate here. I want to prophesy over you that Jesus Christ heals damaged emotions. He heals the heart. I pray, Lord, that you would help us have a deep honesty with you. We'd be honest about where we are. And we would receive your ministry. And Lord, I pray, finally, Lord, that we would agree with you. We would agree with you about who you are. We would agree with you about who we are. That we would agree with you about where you're taking us. And that we would act in faith, knowing that reality. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here this morning, you said, Blake, I don't know if I'm right with God, but I want to know the God you're speaking of, the God who loves me right where I am and will take me out of where I am. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray for you. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. Father, I thank you for those in here who are being honest about where they are, that you would meet them. Lord, they would put their trust in you, that you did for them what they could not do for themselves. And you will walk with them every day of their life and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? Thank you for being with us. If, if you have a ticket and they're going to be with us tonight at the, at the silent night auction, we're going to have a great time. 
Uh, this Wednesday night, we're going to be out here on the patio with fire pits blazing. Uh, I think we've got a good cold night, so it'll be nice to snuggle up near the fire and worship. It's always an amazing time together. Please join us for that. Anything else? If you can, you feel so led, you can remain after the service. We need help clearing this room. And you can help start on. So we'll probably start that in maybe five, ten minutes. We'll let you kind of fellowship. Don't get in a hurry. Don't, don't take people's stuff and throw it in the, in the aisle. Turn around and greet someone. Tell them you're glad they're here. If you can, stay and help us set up. We'd love it. See you next week. If you need prayer, we're up here as well.